Marcast is made possible by Hayes Marketing and Digital, the recruiting experts in marketing and digital roles across Australia for a wide range of industries and job functions. Well, that touches into an area that I'm really passionate about, and that is how does marketing communicate in a non-marketing environment? Welcome to Marcast, the Marketing Mag podcast series one-on-one conversations with Australia's, and in this case, the world's sharpest marketing minds. My name is Josh Lowe. I'm Assistant Editor for Marketing. Today, something special, as Marketing Editor Ben Ice is joined by Sholto Douglas-Hume, Global CMO at Hayes. I'm so pleased to present you with this episode. We hear from Sholto on how the marketing function has developed within Hayes, how it acts as a catalyst for Hayes' entire business model, and the role of data and technology within. Ben and Sholto also discussed the role of the CMO in 2019, the lessons Sholto imported from working in Adland, why Hayes took the task of distilling its purpose so seriously, and how to communicate marketing to non-marketers. With 40 years experience in the Australian market and 50 years globally, Hayes is a leading professional recruiting group dealing in jobs of all shapes and sizes in just about every vertical you can think of. It has ridden waves of change and is poised to navigate another generation of massive shift as we gear for the future of work. What better person to speak to us about marketing and its role in modern brands, the changing needs companies have from their marketers, and the skill sets marketers actually need to have, than Sholto Douglas-Hume, Global CMO at Hayes. Sholto, hi. Hi, Ben. Welcome to Marcast. Thank you very much for joining us. And um, you're looking pretty good. How are you feeling? Are you jet lagged? I'm not actually jet lagged. No, I mean, it's a it's a long journey, but I have traveled quite a lot in my career for the last uh, nearly 20 years. And I guess you get a little bit immune to it. If I had a glass of wine now, I might start being a little bit, uh, a little bit slower. So from London to Sydney yesterday and then into Melbourne last night and then back to Sydney after this, we'll keep you going and get you out of here on time so you can hit that wine on the plane on the way back to Sydney and then you're back home tomorrow. Is that right? No, I'm, I'll get back home to London on Friday. Friday, I should say. Okay, good stuff. Anyway, let's jump right into the discussion. You are our first global guest here on Marcast, so it's fantastic to have you maybe just to get the conversation going, if you wouldn't mind uh, filling us in on your current role as Global CMO and your work at Hayes. I've been at Hayes since 2008, and I joined from Thomson Reuters, uh, the global news and financial information firm. I currently oversee a 200-strong marketing function, uh, but when I joined Hayes, it was around about the 70 mark. So we've significantly expanded the marketing function. It's split between two main groups. The first is the, the head office group function, and they provide central expertise in the area of brand, content, corporate communications, sponsorship, digital and online product development, and data reporting and analytics. And that's quite a small team of just under 20. But in numerical terms, the bulk of the marketing function in Hayes sits in-country. And there are regional marketing teams who work very closely with their local operational management to ensure two things. Firstly, that our go-to-market strategies align very closely with the business needs. And secondly, to leverage support and assets from the group centre so that we avoid reinventing the wheel and duplicating work. And regionally, I'm supported by six marketing directors, three covering our biggest countries, ANZ, UK and Ireland and Germany, and then three covering the regions of Asia, EMEA and the Americas. Okay, wow. So plenty, um, plenty on your radar. 
What is Hayes' approach to marketing and what role does it play at Hayes? Well, today in Hayes, marketeers around the world play a key role in ensuring we keep the wheels turning in terms of generating inbound applications to job opportunities and nurturing long-term and ongoing relationships uh, with candidates and with clients. And what's been really interesting over the last couple of years, how marketing in Hayes has been a catalyst to evolving our business model, our entire business model, which we characterise by traditional world of recruitment being you advertise a job and a candidate applies to a job, Mm -hmm. and then consultant, recruitment consultants evaluate those applicants. But the new world, which we're calling Find and Engage, blends the art and science of recruitment. So it involves utilizing technologies, tools, masses of data points, social media, and it connects it with the kind of human touch, as it were, of the specialist skills that our consultants offer in terms of understanding what the right chemistry is between a potential candidate and the opportunity. So to give you a sense of scale, we place over 80,000 people in permanent roles and over a quarter of a million people in temporary assignments every year. So marketing has a big job in keeping that, uh, in helping keep that, that, um, that operational machine flowing. But I think in terms of what our approach is to marketing, I, I often get asked in, in Hayes by non-marketeers that question. Mm-hmm. And I answer it with three words, awareness, engagement, and acquisition. And there is nothing that marketing does in haze that doesn't fall into one or two or three of those buckets. So by what I mean, awareness obviously is it's our job to build awareness of the brand and the services we provide. Engagement means building and nurturing long-term relationships with our clients and candidates. And third is acquisition. And that's the pointy end of performance marketing in terms of helping our business acquire jobs to fill on behalf of organizations and acquiring new talents to feed into our talent ecosystem. When you really boil it down, that's what marketing exists in Hayes to do. You mentioned that you, when you started, it was a team of 70 and you're now 200 and that change in focus over that time from advertise and apply to find and engage. Uh, maybe talk us through that journey of change over your time at Hayes. My journey in Hayes in many ways reflects how the world of marketing has, has evolved. Mm-hmm. So, When I joined, on my very first day, the CEO said, you've got three jobs. Professionalize the function, make Hayes famous. And the the third was to make sure how we went to market um, was very closely aligned with our operational sales machine. Now, that was then. Mm -hmm. Um, World's moved on. But in those days, a lot of marketing people were former consultants who kind of moved into marketing. Mm -hmm. So by the CEO saying professionalize the function, that meant really bringing in experienced marketeers, which obviously takes time, and, and that's been a big part of my job. The second area was was really critical at, at the time for building a global brand and, and a really respected brand of Hayes, and that, that led to a whole work stream around defining our, our brand, positioning it clearly in the market, sponsoring organizations like Manchester City Football Club, Manchester City Women Football Club, and New York City Football Club, and really bringing some some gravitas to our voice, our tone of voice and kind of quality of, of messaging we were we were you know expressing in the market. 
Um, and in terms of how we go to market, introducing marketing technology and bringing in a real kind of data dimension to how we are, are driving marketing means that we can really be a fundamental part of delivering the find and engage model for our business. Great. And what about, uh, what about where you fit into the, the business now, CMO of a large global company? Uh, what part do you play in C-suite discussions? Well, so being on the executive board of Hayes involves monthly meetings uh, with my colleagues, the CFO, CEO, MDs of our biggest industries, and then the functional heads of people and culture, technology, strategy, etc. So, so those forums, obviously, I'm the marketing voice there. We also have an operations board, which meets quarterly, which is a, a wider team of all of the um, senior leaders from around the business. And, and those debates get much more under the, under the hood of real-time issues affecting our business. But I think senior marketeers talk a lot about their C-suite impact being focused on representing the voice of the customer or the consumer. And I, I do think that's true. And it's very important to fly that flag. But it is only credible if it's backed up with data and insight. And if it's just the marketing marketing director saying I'm the voice of the customer, but you know it's much more of an intuitive expression. It doesn't carry nearly as much weight as as bringing the full force of evidence. And I think just to kind of think of what the three most important aspects of being a CMO in a company with eleven thousand employees and thirty four countries, I, I would distill it down to three things. When I wake up in the morning, these kind of three things are dictating, you know, where I go Your that day. day. Yep. So firstly, it is imperative that we attract, retain and develop the very best marketing talent. If it, that is probably the most important thing that I do, because in a company with 11,000 employees, one person called CMO really can't deliver everything. So my job is to make sure we have the best people in the right roles really supporting the business and driving the business as much as they can. My second task really is to smooth the path for those 200 marketeers to grow the business uh, through access to the very best tools, technology, systems, data points, etc. So my job is to kind of act as a following wind to help them. And then the third is to be the most passionate and innovative champion and protector of the Hayes brand. And I know it's an old adage, but the Hayes brand will live on many, many years after me. But my biggest responsibility, I guess, is to make sure I leave it, you know, stronger, more valuable, more respected brand than, than when I joined. Those pools of talent and that brand on a global scale, what does that mean to you and your work? How does that global brand work and filter into local markets like Australia? Well, I, I was lucky enough to gain some brand responsibility at, at Thomson Reuters, my previous company. And a company like that, working in 200 countries, you know, the, the management of their brand in that context is, is absolutely critical for a news brand in particular. So I did learn a lot there of, of the need for command and control in terms of brand management, blended with local sensitivity. So I, I did have that experience. It wasn't new to me when I, when I came to, to Hayes. But the challenge at Hayes was that there wasn't really a recognized brand. There was no, there was a logo, but there was no real sort of structure or framework for defining what the brand stood for, the messaging around that, the tone of voice, the, the kind of key assets that any 
you know global brand would would normally have they just didn't exist so there was a it was a big kind of foundation work needed to really put the brand on a, on on very sound footing and that lives to today and and we're constantly evolving and adapting the brand we have acquisitions you've got all of the digital and social demands that that you have to respond to in terms of how you present your your brand and we have just completed a, a global kind of reappraisement of our values and definition of our purpose. And that has been a big exercise to really get everyone in the organization to buy into and support our, our new values and new purpose. But I think in answer to your question up front, I think the 80-20 the model is probably the one that stands the test of time. So you need 80% of your brand to be you know, absolutely locked, you know, and consistent. Um, but to recognise each country and each geography will have sensitivities and, and local dynamics that just mean that you need some flex around that. And I think it's the ability to know when to flex and when to remain stubborn and firm, you know, in the brand communication. That's the, the hard bit, I guess. So as a global organisation, you revisited that value proposition and that purpose. Uh, talk us through that process. Well, 10 years ago, we, we defined our purpose in a, in a major exercise uh, working with Interbrand. And that takes a lot of time. You have to turn over a lot of stones and see what's underneath. And you have to let the business know that you're not creating values that sound good and, and cool and whatever. You are defining what the organization is there is no way an organization can define its values that don't reflect what it is at its heart and its core and that's why that work takes a long time and it needs a lot of internal engagement and internal buy-in to make sure that we're not just plugging at straws so we did that work 10 years ago and it, it took the best part of a year alone involving research with our customers with our clients etc so we we didn't want to kind of reinvent that but we just felt there was a need to evolve the, the messaging within each value and expand a little bit, particularly around the areas of innovation and the insight that data can bring. So there was a kind of evolution of that and an expansion of it uh, to reflect changing times. But the core values didn't change. The purpose was a really interesting project because nowadays, from a corporate governance point of view, it's imperative that companies actually clearly define their social purpose. And and that is another thing that you can't just pluck out of thin air and think, oh, that sounds a really good set of words. So we focused on our purpose on both what we offer to clients and what we offer to candidates. So you're kind of bringing together two dynamics there, but you want to unite it under a thought. So our, our purpose basically is defined as this. By helping people succeed, we enable organizations to thrive creating opportunities and improving lives. So it's a kind of classic construct of saying what you do and saying why it benefits people. And I don't think there's anything more inspiring than creating opportunities and, and helping people improve their lives. So we've got a, a purpose that our own people can be inspired by, but it genuinely reflects what we do as a business. Such an important thing these days, and I agree. There's plenty of um, there's plenty of talk out there from brands going out there with those sort of values, but um, to actually be able to live them and have them reflect what you do it should be number one priority. Yeah, Absolutely, yeah. as you say, you work with you work with clients and you work with candidates. How do you break that down, and what is your marketing approach to each? 
Yeah, I mean, in simple terms, we have two audience groups. We've got clients and candidates. Um, but it's not as simple as that because clients can become candidates and candidates become clients and vice versa. And then within the client world, organizations may or may not have their own hiring capabilities in-house. Then the services and the support we could give them would, would be very different. I, I know that marketeers and outside marketing use the simple paradigm of B2B and B2C. But in Hayes's case, we're truly a hybrid. So we're a B2B business model in that our revenue comes from organizations, but we're a B2C marketing model because our assets are candidates. And that's one of the biggest roles for marketing is to build a talent pool of candidates as our assets. What that means in marketing terms is that we will have different user journeys for clients and candidates, but we'll also need to account for the fact that they will blend in many ways, certainly around content streams. Um, but we need to do it in a way that individuals can navigate exactly to what they want. As one example, we have a careers and workplace advice platform called Viewpoint. And this has close to a thousand blogs covering hundreds of workplace issues, everyday workplace issues from how to prepare for an interview to how to prepare to do the interviewing, etc. And another important point to make, and I'll, I'll use ANZ as an example here, is around segmentation. So in the ANZ region alone, we have 23 sort of sub-specialisms or specialist brands, Hayes Engineering, Hayes Marketing and Digital, Hayes Defense, just to name a few. And so each of these kind of specialist businesses, as it were, will have their own unique candidates and their own unique client base. Uh, but united by a common brand. So you can just imagine there are a lot of complexities within our business around segmentation and targeting. Uh, and then you've got to overlay client and candidate, large, small. So marketers perennially have these kind of challenges, but that's how it works in our world. Certainly. And what about uh, developing your uh, understanding and your knowledge of your customer base? What are your current strategies and tactics around that? So the scale of data available now to a, a global recruitment firm is phenomenal. It goes way beyond the traditional candidate CV. It, it touches into huge swathes of recruitment data, economic trends, social media activity, and our own ability to map and predict requirements, recruiting requirements or recruiting trends by a different sector or, or seasonality. But as we all know, big data can actually be too big and can make decision making even harder. So where today a recruiter has access to a huge amount of data points, as I've just mentioned, and powerful analytic tools and technology, um, and they, you know, we need to generate a high quality shortlist as quickly as possible. We've created, I don't like the term silver bullet, but it, it kind of works in this instance, is our own silver bullet, our own algorithm called the Approachability Index. And that is drawing together as much information as we can about an individual candidate that would then surface them in our searches as someone who is likely to be interested in this role. And I think that's how we use data. Uh, and that's that makes us different to as far as I'm concerned, nearly every other recruiter, because we understand the approachability index is the key to finding the right candidate for that role. Uh, you mentioned about marketers being the voice of the customer and representing the customer in those C-suite discussions and having that data and uh, insight to actually be able to fly that flag. Do you have any uh, pieces of advice on good ways to use that data to tell a story, to communicate that with our management and with our leaders? 
Well, that touches into an area that I'm really passionate about, and that is how does marketing communicate in a non-marketing environment in a company? And it's something I've learned over the last decade or so, and that is not to bring to an executive board discussion the same language or the same material that you might have in your own team meetings or discussing with your team, because you have to present data. It might be marketing-generated data, but it has to be presented in an operational, clearly relevant business language way. It's not as if marketing is bringing this great words of wisdom. It's sharing the insight that you can bring within the context and language of the rest of the business. And it is only when marketers do that that they can really have the impact. Because otherwise, it's like is a finance to bring director bringing just tables of stats, and no one quite knows what's going on. You know, each profession has to be adept and agile at presenting their specialist insight in in a in a completely approachable way to all other vertical parts of the business. Getting into a bit of your background, um, tell us a little bit about your career, if that's all right. So when I was at school, I'd always wanted to go into advertising. And, and bear in mind, back in the 80s, advertising was the hot profession, or certainly one of the hot professions. And it was ultra competitive to get into. And I did manage to get into it. I joined a mid-sized agency in London. That was fantastic. Loved that. But then I moved to work for the Australian ad agency, Mojo, and not here in Australia, but they were opening their first overseas office and they chose London and they hired me. They probably thought they wanted some very English. <laughs> a local. Yeah, yeah, local. And my clients were Tui's, uh, the Australian Tourist Commission, Rosemount Wines, that kind of thing. And then we got up to about just under 20 people. And then Mojo merged with Chiat Day, a big um, American agency. And I, at that point, decided to join a much bigger ad agency because I was given a chance to work on some really big F FMCG clients and confectionery brands. I was then headhunted by a previous client uh, to British Telecom, BT, and I became head of advertising. And I was one of the key members of the team creating an award-winning campaign called It's Good to Talk uh, with Bob Hoskins. Some of the commercials were shot by Ridley Scott. And I oversaw the production of 250 commercials in five years. So although I was an ad man for 10 years, five years at BT, and I've made more commercials in those five years than I had in 10 years in agencies. Uh, and then I worked at Thomson Reuters and, and obviously now Hayes. Sure thing. So plenty of, um, plenty of creative roles, especially early on in your career. How does that uh, experience shape your approach to marketing currently? Uh, I am hugely indebted to spending the first 10 years of my career in advertising, and it defined me in many ways. Yes, it's a tough, ruthless environment, but I really received some fantastic training from impressive industry leaders. They taught me how to solve a strategic challenge with a marketing and communication solution, then be able to sell it succinctly and clearly, and then execute it. But within that process, developing a sixth sense as to when it is necessary to be expedient and flexible and adaptable, because, you know, sometimes you, you have to be, but other times resisting to the last you know, sinew in your body, any deviation from a core idea. And I think you end up knowing when to fight a battle and when to, you know, win the war. 
And advertising taught me that because day in, day out, you're, you're butting up against decision-making around creative work, around strategy. And the other aspect of advertising that I, I really benefited from is the sheer scale and variety of the, client, of the accounts and clients that I had, you know, juggling you know, five or six different clients at any one time. And I think that kind of explains why I've, I've moved every job I've had. It hasn't been moving to another company in the same sector. I'm really comfortable changing sectors completely. When I joined Thomson Reuters, I hadn't got experience in their space. And when I joined Hayes, I hadn't got experience in there. So I think marketeers sometimes have to make a decision fairly early in their career. Are they going to become an auto specialist or an FMCG retail specialist? Or are you going to be comfortable mixing and matching? And, and I have loved the, the variety of my career and certainly advertising. I think back to my first day days in advertising and at the end of 10 years what what i learned in that time was just an unbelievable roller coaster of of challenges incredibly dynamic people never having to you know never having to kind of give up on a project because there was always a way in the end and and uh, advertising is very different today but back then it was a fantastic training ground that's interesting because i think a lot of people getting into marketing today the skills, uh, the skills that they're looking at are more things to do with data, social media, the world of digital. But there's a lot to be said for the creative side. Um, and there's a lot of temptation for a lot of marketers to go into that agency side. It sounds like you're pretty pro that going agency side, building up a bit of experience on a, a range of agencies and clients to build out a better breadth of experience? Yeah, I originally became a client after 10 years in advertising because I wanted to get experience as a client to then get back into advertising at a senior level. But I never went back. You haven't made it yet. (laughs) I haven't made it yet. But I think the, the agency world today is a bit different. The only advice and perspective I can give is that you have to have a DNA that works in a marketing services environment. And some people feel comfortable on the one side of the fence. And if you're comfortable on the side of offense of being in an agency of, of any kind of marketing services, if you work well in that space, it can be a fantastic life and you can really have a great career. Sholto, I have six questions in 60 seconds. I'll ask you to name for me first a brand doing very well. I'm impressed at how some of the new challenger banking brands are transforming that sector and I couldn't do without the Revolut app on my phone. And a brand doing poorly? I really don't like criticising brands because people in glass houses shouldn't throw stones, etc. But you would find it hard to deny that Facebook aren't exactly covering themselves with glory given their rather reckless attitude to customer data. Do you have any uh, favourite marketing mentors or commentators or authors who you've used over the years? Probably it's the classic TED Talk land, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, the, the, you get inspiration in marketing from a wide variety of sources and it's not you know what's a marketing expert said now uh, it can be it can be anything that can trigger a thought or an observation or an analogy whatever it might be and what is the biggest issue in marketing today i think clients are, are looking to have much more confidence in the integrity and the transparency of how digital advertising is bought served and reported and it is being undermined or ex- this problem is being exacerbated by the armies of bots that are distorting the reality and marketing in just a few words marketing done well 
should be an organization's engine of growth. Thank you to Sholto Douglas Hume for giving up his time to be on Markcast. In part two of Ben's chat with Sholto, the pair dive deeper into the shifting role of the CMO, how Australian marketing compares to the rest of the world, and what brands are looking for in the next generation of marketing leaders. Thanks for listening to Markcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to rate the podcast, subscribe, and tell your friends. The next episode will be out soon, but to tide you over until then, check out marketingmag.com.au to stay up to date on the world of marketing. We'll see you soon. Markast is made possible by Hayes Marketing and Digital, the recruiting experts in marketing and digital roles across Australia for a wide range of industries and job functions. For the latest insights on what it takes to be a marketing director, download the Hayes Report, DNA of a Marketing Director, at haze.com.au.